Welcome to Meaning What. I'm your host, Mason Hirschenau. This week, Sean and I speak to chalk artist and muralist Naomi Haverland about her practice, the influence of social media on her projects, and how public art has changed over the last year. Welcome to Meaning What. Thanks for coming on, Naomi. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I hope I can be as interesting as your other guests. Oh, we're sure of it. You'll be fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why don't we start by having you introduce yourself to the audience? You are you're a primarily a muralist, correct? Yeah, a muralist and anamorphic artist. So like what people usually understand about that is those chalk drawings on the ground that look like a big hole in the ground that you're going to fall into. It's an optical illusion. And so that's what I do a lot of. So right now I'm actually in New Jersey. I'm in my hotel room and I'm painting at a museum that's going to open next month. Uh, And it's just all anamorphic art. There's a lot of those museums popping up around the country. And this is another one that's going to open next month. And it's actually being opened by Tracy Lee Stum. And anybody that's in the anamorphic art world will recognize that name. So how did you get into this particular style of art? Have you always been a primarily chalk artist or? Um, I mean, I started when I first got married and had kids, I had babies and I just really wanted to a way to have a flexible schedule and make money on my own. So I started doing murals and I mean, it was like really, really low quality murals, like, like in nurseries or offices, little vines, stuff like that. I was just advertising that I would do murals so that, and I could, you know, set my own schedule and basically just work at night after my husband got home. And then that was like the first five years after I had kids. And then I moved to Colorado and started getting more into the gallery scene doing, um, paintings just on canvas and stuff and then in denver a big deal is the denver chalk art festival and a lot of artists that aren't necessarily chalk artists will do a big piece of chalk art in that festival or they'll just like do one of their own pieces of art but do it in chalk just as a way to sort of give their other art some exposure because it that festival is just like packed with people is so huge so i started doing that and then that's where i sort of stepped into the chalk art world I started getting a lot of chalk art gigs and then I slowly, I kept thinking about doing the anamorphic, but it's real. it looked, it was really intimidating. And then eventually about five years ago, maybe four years ago, I did finally jump into it and it's just really addicting. So I've been doing that ever since. Well, it's really amazing to me. You keep saying like, well, I wanted to try something and then you do it and you get people to pay you for it. Because, you know, when, when when I try a new hobby, I don't I think there's a lot of them that I don't think anyone would ever want to pay me to do. So I think that's amazing. <laughs> well, I didn't necessarily, when someone's paying me to do something, I don't necessarily ever tell them when I'm experimenting with it. You know, you always have to project confidence. So I would get, I was getting a chalk art gig. And of course, they knew I was a good chalk artist. They had confidence in me for that. But I didn't let them know it was going to be my first 3D one. So, or, and so I don't know if, listeners will know the difference between like if you say 3d chalk art that just means anamorphic chalk art it's the optical illusion the distorted chalk art so yeah i definitely didn't tell the first time i did one for a client i didn't tell him that was my first 3d one (laughs) (laughs) that is a bold move 
yeah, you know, if it works, it works, right? And what better way to learn how to do that than to have to do it, I guess. Yeah, and I I think if I'm really going to think about it, every art project that I'm doing for someone is somewhat of an experiment. It's like I'm never completely redoing something I've done before. So was there something that drew you to that? You said that you kind of started down this road as you as you had a family and, and was looking for that income. Were you doing art before then? Like, do you come from an, an art background and, and did part of that steer you in this direction? Or was it really just like one of those situations where your personal situation really sort of gave form to this direction? Well, I've always considered myself an artist. That's always what I've been drawn to and what I enjoy doing. So I think I think people get good at whatever they enjoy doing because they enjoy spending time doing it. And the more you spend time doing something, the better you get at it. So yeah, like in high school and everything, art was my thing. And then I started going to college, but didn't finish. So I only did like a year and a half of college. So kind of failed at that. But um, <laughs> but then when I had kids, I guess, yeah, it was just something that I knew I was sort of good at. There was actually a friend that encouraged me. She had a baby and she asked me to come over and help her paint her nursery. And I had ended up painting a giraffe on the wall. And she was like, you're good at this. You should do this. And I was like, really? And so then I just decided to give it a try. <laughs> So was it because you painted on someone's wall that you got into specifically like the genre of mural art? Or was there anything specific about kind of the format or how someone views mural art that got you into it? I think I saw it as something sellable, something, a product that I could provide that people would want. You know, you see other kind of art as not being as sellable. You know what I mean? That's why commissions seem to be more of a moneymaker than doing my own art or whatever, and then selling it. So yeah, I think the mural was just an opportunity to make some money. I was setting up a booth at a craft fair. And I remember I had like this like science board, you know, those like threefold science boards. Yeah. I remember like I put the one that I did on that friend's house, a picture of that. And then like a little <laughs> picture of something I'd done in my own house. And I remember kind of feeling like an imposter being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm saying I can do this. It's, I mean, looking back, I feel kind of silly about it, but it was sure. scary for me in the moment. Like, Yeah, that that is, as somebody who's been in that position, that is, there's few things that are as terrifying as, here are the things that I've done, you know, validate them in this, this way. Am I wasting my time? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I know, like, there's a part of me that feels, like, arrogant that I think anybody would pay for my artwork at all. It's, you know, I've just learned to kind of ignore that my that self-doubt and, you know, fake it till you make it. I still feel like I'm still faking it. You're faking it really well, then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, so I think you just, like, touched on something there that's really interesting about murals. It's, like, it's something that's, like broadly experiential like you're kind of forced to experience it right if you just happen to walk by a mural and I think maybe in the before times before COVID that there was a lot of art and or, and or like experiences where people were just looking to have some interface with art experiences like I think of like those ice cream museums or everything that were like it's tied to right you know like super tied to the internet but everyone is like kind of chasing an experience and maybe the genre of like mural art and chalk art is something that at least feels approachable to everyone maybe. And it just provides a broader audience to reach. 
Right. Yeah. It's totally different than art in a museum. And that's something I love about it is that it's for everyone. It's not pretentious in any way. I mean, I guess some, there's some aspects of the mural world or whatever that can get a little pretentious, but the ones that are really successful are ones that aren't like trying to um, prop their art or skills up too much. They're really just trying to connect with people, anybody. So it is something that's just like for everyone. It's not part of the, it's, totally separate from the fine art world. Do you find that that influence of like knowing that people are, when they come across a mural or they come across this type of chalk art, a lot of times they'll be looking for an opportunity to take a picture of it for their Instagram or for Facebook. Do you find that that area of, let's call it social media influence is influencing your work in any way? Or do you think that you just, are you just making it and it just happens to work or not work no i mean it absolutely does like right now i'm working at this museum and there's a lot of them popping up like i said and it's really the museums are catered around people wanting to take selfies it's basically a selfie experience and so you know anamorphic art specifically is art designed to have a picture taken of it Mm -hmm. it's really not enjoyable in person a lot of people don't know this they see it on the internet And they think, oh, I'd love to see that in person. But in person, it's not enjoyable because your eyes have depth perception. And it's all the the optical illusions all based around the photo, like taking out the depth perception. So it's meant to have a picture taken and that to be the final piece of art is your own picture of it. So in this museum, I'm trying to think of what people will want to have a picture of. And in a way that is limiting because me personally, I want to get weird. Like I want, my tastes are odd. So (laughs) it's a balance. Like how weird can I push it? But someone still want to have a picture of it. But yeah, I'm trying to think, what do people want a picture with? And a lot of that ends up being just catering to maybe the teenage girl culture, because they're the ones that like to take selfies the most. And then I end up just basically designing a background. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know how I feel about it because I do like creating experiences for people and trying to get into other people's head and know what's going to connect. I feel like that takes a lot of skill to do that. Absolutely. But it's also selling out a little bit, not being true to yourself and just figuring out what will be most popular. Right. You're kind of collaborating with an unknown party. The internet. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You have to work with them, but you don't get any immediate feedback from them. Are you looking for ways to sort of slip in a little bit of the weird where you can? Totally. Yeah. So I, and I was surprised at the designs that they approved for this museum. Like one of the designs that they rejected was I wanted to have an anamorphic Bernie, you know, sitting on that chair and people could sit next to him. And I was like, people will love that experience because they'd get to take a picture with Bernie, basically have that optical illusion. And they rejected that. (laughs) But the one that they approved is another version of a flying hot dog that people will like surf on. So, and that's kind of weird. doesn't make sense. And then they they kept suggesting ways to make it make sense. They're like, what if you had some flying condiments too or something? And I'm like, no, don't try to make it make sense. Like (laughs) that takes the charm away. Like the entire meal needs to fly. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then someone was asking me at the museum, they're making a little documentary about the creation of this museum. And he was asking me, what's the title of this piece? And I was like, I don't know. I don't have a title for it because really the 
visitor who comes and poses on it, they kind of decide what the story is. Like if they're posing on it in one way, it might mean one thing. If they're posing on another way, it might mean another thing. So they really set the final title or whatever of the piece. Right. You're just sort of supplying the first aspect of it. And then whoever comes along and uses it kind of creates the final product in a way. Yeah, totally. So it's, it's weird because like, even sometimes with anamorphic art, I'm, um, I sculpt it first because in order to design it, it's all about the camera angle or the, the viewer angle, everything. There's a lot of geometry involved. So if I'm able to take a photo of an actual object that helps me to design it from the right angle. So sometimes I'll actually sculpt something, photograph it, then do it, then paint it. Then someone takes a photo of it. It just like goes through so many stages of different art forms. Yeah. And and at that point, like just calling you a chalk artist or a, a painter is almost too reductionist because you have, there are so many other aspects going into this. Yeah. And I'm like, I am doing most of my work digitally. All the prep work is done digitally. I'm spending a lot of time experimenting on what colors work best and all this before I finally go and execute it. So even though all the digital work isn't seen, it's like all in the background, it's the majority of the work it's done digitally. How did you develop this process, right? Because hearing your story of kind of, you just almost fell into this art form and then you've developed all these skill sets to, de- to develop your art. You know, did it come just from practice, meeting other artists in the similar genre or, you know, just your own genius? No, definitely not my own genius. And I, like I said, I still feel like I'm faking it. When I was in Denver, I worked alongside this other artist, Chris Carlson, who's one of the most prominent 3D chalk artists. And I got to observe him a lot and kind of learn his process. And then I moved to Seattle and no one was doing it in Seattle. And that's when I finally decided to dive into it. Because when I was in Denver, I definitely did not want to compete with Chris Carlson because he's like one of the best. I finally decided to jump into it when I went to Seattle, but I was sending my questions to Chris and kind of having him walk me through it online. So really, I learned this from all the other artists. And then I go to chalk festivals around the country, and I kind of prioritize doing that because I think of it as a learning experience. There's artists from all over the world coming in, sharing what they know, and it's such a growing experience to go be among all the other artists. I feel like technically, or I don't know, according to how they define self-taught or formally taught, I'm self-taught, but that really doesn't make sense because I've just learned from other artists and I'm constantly just learning from other artists. And I really like that this culture is really community oriented. Mm -hmm. Everybody's just helping each other out. And I try to do that too. I try to, anytime someone sends me a a message asking for a little bit of help, I try to always give them some input just because other people have done that for me. Right. It's, I think even for people who are formally educated after you leave school, like the only way that an art practice continues being an art practice is having, finding some level of that community too, because there's only so much you can learn at school. And then at some point you have to have kind of a real world application for it. Right. And part of that is like meeting other artists and interacting with them. Yeah. And it really is, you know, like even art that's in museums and everything is a conversation with other fine artists and other artists at different time periods and everything. Everybody's still responding to each other in that way. So it's just another form of that. Yeah. 
So we have a pretty, we're all three based in Sacramento, California, and we, we have a pretty, I don't know, it feels sizable chalk festival every year here. Yes. Yeah, I think I know about it. And the thing that has always struck me about it is that it happens at the same park every year, and then it, it is effectively left out, right? Because it's on the sidewalk, and people walk over it, and for months it's there, and then it just sort of slowly kind of comes apart in a, a lot of ways. Certain pieces stick depending on what they use to make them and whatnot, but that's always been one thing that's been most intriguing to me as somebody who works in visual arts and who has worked in visual arts for a long time. Like a lot of my education was about preserving pieces and making things that archival. Right. Exactly. And, and chalk art by its nature is the opposite of that. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that or if, if that sort of ethereal aspect of it influences the way that you work or if you just work and, and then that's it. Well, I think the chakra, especially the festivals, it was more of like a performance. It's for people to see in the moment, kind of like a concert or a song where you're there enjoying it in the moment. And that's part of the beauty of it. I think of it, especially when I'm doing a not anamorphic piece, I think of it as people enjoying it at every step of the way. It's not really about the final product as much. So that's one thing. But then also with the anamorphic art, it's more about the photo being the final thing and that can last indefinitely. So yeah, I, I think that part of it is just teaching people to enjoy things in the moment and it doesn't have to be permanent. But also one thing that really struck me when I started doing the Denver one was that I can do a piece in my studio on a, a permanent canvas, whatever that'll last forever, and it wouldn't get as many views as doing it at the festival. And in one weekend, just thousands and thousands of people will walk by and it would get way more views than one piece that will last forever in my studio. So being able to do it huge on the ground in a public space gets a lot more views, which makes it seem more, I don't know, permanent. Like, I don't know, do you, is it permanence based on how long it lasts or? Right. It, it's a matter of how you sort of measure that, that sort of thing. And then also like what's more important if it lasts a long time or if, a lot of people are able to interact with it in in some way. And and like you said, like photography being what it is now and everybody having a camera in their pocket, the idea that something is temporary or, or doesn't last is almost null in, in some, some way now. Because it does, it sticks around forever. We have Facebook, so. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it does seem like the anamorphic art is really taking off in the mural world. And I think the reason for that is it has a lot to do with cameras and taking photos of murals and then being more enjoyed and shared over social media than enjoyed in person. And so I feel like that's why anamorphic art has really taken off in the mural world because they're catering the murals to a photo instead of catering the mural design to be seen in person. I think the anamorphic art started off being the chalk art, but people, it's now starting to be more of the murals and then all in all these museums that are popping up, which I kind of appreciate because then I can actually spend a little more time on making something permanent. I spent uh, four and a half days on this last piece that I did in the museum and it was nice to be able to, you know, polish it up a lot more than I would a piece of chalk art. So have you found the world of COVID and lockdowns kind of change how you 
get gigs or like change how people experience art because in many ways we're often kind of more cut off from directly experiencing it but also at the same time we're even more addicted and more sucked into the the social media world yeah absolutely i mean people can't get together as much which i really dislike not being able to get together with other artists but it has forced us all to be a little more creative in how we interact with each other there was a piece that I did right when COVID started where it was actually three other artists. One was in Sacramento, one was in Houston, and one was in Georgia, and I was in Seattle. And then we drew a portrait of our friend who lives in Michigan. And then each one of us took a quarter of her face and did a portrait and then digitally put them together. Cool. Yeah. So in a way that we would have never done something like that had we been together. So it forced us to find a way to collaborate in a different way. I hope that we'll get back to where artists can get together more because I think it's sort of made it a little more elitist. Only the best artists are able to travel now. They're just because it's less people that are getting together. So they're limiting it. And that really makes it harder for other people to move up or get gigs or anything like that. Yeah. The pool is way smaller and Every aspect, no matter what you do or or what you were looking to do, suddenly all of the the ways to sort of progress and all those milestones have just sort of dissolved. The flip side of that too, like you're saying, is that it creates this almost requirement for us to find new ways of kind of approaching it because those old ways just don't work anymore. I, I feel like murals would be a little bit easier to, to continue doing than certain other things because they have that level of permanence and they can there is still a, a demand for them to some extent. If, have you felt that or has it been affected the same way? Mm, I don't know. Um, I guess they're outdoors, so that does help. Mm-hmm. So people are less likely to shy away from getting together. In Sacramento, we also have wide open walls, which has yeah. been happening over the last, how long has it been? Three three years now? Two or three years? So, Is it right, a mural festival? Yeah. Yes. And and it has led to this sort of explosion of murals on every surface over the city. Oh, I think maybe I do know a friend that maybe participated in that. It's I mean, it's been interesting because it is, on the one hand, it has sort of created this opportunity to, like, just walking around town even right now, like, become exposed to art by artists that I would not have seen or interacted with, right? Do Um, they bring them in or are they all local artists? From what I understand, they are brought in. I don't, I don't think we're doing all local artists, which was also kind of a um, sticking point, a sticking point for a while because Mm -hmm. there haven't been too many like really big local drives for art. For example, when we built the stadium down here, they brought in a couple major artists to do the art there. And so, it's it has been interesting though because on the other side of that coin like there's a whole bunch of art from a whole bunch of different artists right now that that wouldn't necessarily be her otherwise i think the most interesting thing to me is that there's a really wide array of sort of styles and and approaches i don't know there's so many things that intersect like you've already mentioned naomi about how it's somehow more accessible for everyone to view it and interact with it. But also it seems like 
there's sometimes these invisible barriers as to who gets these opportunities and why. And a question I kind of had was like, how much control do you have in your artistic process of like choosing an idea or a theme? All of the murals and wide and open walls, for example, are generally just pretty random. But, you know, I, I haven't seen anything, quote unquote, super weird. And there's often a lot that are just like, yay, sack is great. Or, oh, remember Ladybird? That was about us. Woo! So, <laughs> like, how often do you, like, you kind of briefly mentioned it. How often do you find, because it's such a public art form, you have to kind of make concessions to whoever's approving your art? You know what's weird? I feel like whenever an artist is traveling to do a piece of artwork, they always want to do something relevant to the area that they're going to, which does make sense. But also, I feel like it makes more sense to bring something relevant to the area you came from. Right. I don't know. Here in Florida, like you see so much palm trees, alligators, tons of that. And then whenever someone wants a mural, they think of, oh, oh do something local. And they do more palm trees. <laughs> everybody's seen that already. And right. and, the, and then even with the festivals, people are like, oh, I'm going to this city. Let me think of a celebrity from that city to do. And it's like, well, those people from that city have probably already seen that celebrity a lot. They would probably rather see something from your city that you came from. Mm. And, and that one mural, the tiger, tiger mural that you mentioned that I posted on Reddit, I was so grateful that that pawn shop gave me so much artistic freedom and wasn't like wanting something super regional or some theme like that they they just wanted something really badass and cool looking so they really let me kind of let loose and when i presented that idea they they loved it so i was like wow this dream client (laughs) and do you find that that is usually not the case though in in mural art like it's never the case yeah (laughs) the person that's hiring me like if they're paying me money, they always feel like they want to have a say. And I feel like, I don't know, it's almost like they're like, well, I'm paying money for this. I better make sure it's exactly what I want. But then they just end up stifling it. And I don't know. I think everybody wants to feel like their opinion's really important. But <laughs> and it's a challenge as an artist to try to get into their brain and do something that's going to connect with them that they're going to love. But also, I feel like if you just let the artist bring what what they have, it, it might end up being more impactful right and especially in especially in an art medium that is so public right it's kind of funny that there's so much reliance on having somebody approve it when at the end of the day 90 percent of the interaction isn't going to be from them it's going to be from people walking by or or coming to see it specifically yeah and that's what the pawn shop said they said they wanted this to be something people in the neighborhood would enjoy and like they even put it on the not on the side of the store where you enter, they put it on the other side because it was a much better wall. And then I got so much support from the neighbors and everything because I was actually really nervous about that mural. It was the biggest one I'd ever done. Originally, I was going to do it indoors, but then I went and looked up the address on Google Maps and I saw that wall and I was like, oh man, that wall would be amazing. But then when I got there and saw the wall in person, it was much bigger than I had Oops. imagined. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, the scaffolding wasn't tall enough and everything. So I was just so nervous, but um, seeing like the kids, cause you know, kids weren't in school, they were doing online school. They would like ride their bikes by and they every like, you know, hour to see it progressing and stuff. And everybody was so excited about it. And that like really just motivated me a lot. 
that was a good example, I guess, <laughs> of a mural that where, where things went well, the, the client gave me freedom and it ended up being really popular. Imagine that, letting the, the person you hire to do something do the thing that you hired them to do and it works out. Yeah, Shall totally. <laughs> How dangerous is mural painting? I imagine, I, I'm terrified of heights. I would never succeed in this art form. I think it's probably pretty dangerous. <laughs> oh, I, I've fallen a few times. Like I didn't fall on that project, but I've taken some really bad falls off ladders before and had like some really beautiful bruises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it could be pretty dangerous. Are you generally working by yourself when you do these or do you have an assistant or anything like that? I'd say it's a like half and half. I always seem to know an artist in every city I go to. Yeah, I'd say it's about half and half. I do like painting alone too. I like to just stick in my earbuds and listen to a podcast and I can really get into a zone that way and makes it makes uh, me way more productive. I've been listening to your guys' podcasts while I've been painting in the museum. Hope it helped. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, some of them were music related, so it was way over my head, but um, it was still interesting discussion. Some of those music ones have been well over my head as well. So, Oops, sorry. <laughs> you guys sounded like you knew what you're talking about. <laughs> it's a talent. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the main thing that an art education got me was being able to fake my way through a conversation like that. Are we all doing that? Are we all doing that right now? Constantly. I think we're all doing that always. I think that's always. part of part of art too, though, is just there aren't always answers. And that's, I find, one of the hard things to communicate to people who don't actively make art or don't consider themselves artists, but who want to ask questions. And they're like, well, X, Y, and Z. And sometimes you just have, it, I have a hard time explaining that there isn't an X, Y, and Z all the time. Sometimes it is just it happened or sometimes it is I'm still working that out even though I did whatever. Yeah. Like I, my kids are so different. I think one of the biggest lessons for my son, because he's so math minded and he only wants right answers. And mm -hmm. so when he was little, I would make him sketch because that was like a practice and there being no right answers. And Oh, it frustrate him so much. <laughs> I think he still probably hates me for me making him do it. I don't know. If I should have done it or not. It was like torture. On our podcast, we firmly advocate for that because I think if anything, like one of the big banners of our podcast is arts education. It's just like taking the time to think critically about the mushy gray stuff that there is no definite answers, but like think about it and maybe you'll have your own version of an answer. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think it's good for everybody to like think on things that are not black and white. Absolutely. So you kind of mentioned a topic that we like talked about before we started recording about basically having kids who are kind of in the, the target age group of your art experience and how that kind of has affected your practice or like how you think about things. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So I have I have a 17 year old daughter and an 18 year old son, and they're about as opposite as you can get. My son, he has no social media. He's like strongly against social media. He absolutely hates selfie culture, Instagram culture, that sort of thing. He's the one that only likes right and wrong answers. So, <laughs> so he's 
starting college next year, going to be studying actuarial science, which is like statistics, stuff like that. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So me making him sketch was just mean. <laughs> <laughs> and then my daughter, she's probably more like me, but she would definitely not want to say that she was. And she's super into taking selfies. She loves it. And she and I ask her advice a lot because trying to figure out like selfie culture is a big industry. Mm-hmm. I feel like so many experiences nowadays are centered around that target audience. And so I do ask her opinion a lot to see how it resonates with her. And she's really good at giving me feedback. And she has her Instagram that's all pictures of herself and her cat. Oh. Do her answers surprise you sometimes? Mm, do they surprise me? Maybe, yeah. She can be creative and come up with something I hadn't considered. But most of the time, it's like something I knew and didn't want to hear. Like <laughs> <laughs> like the hard truth, like like where I'm designing something. And I'm like, does this make sense? And she's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so, so she's just good at giving, you know, the hard truth a lot. The hardest feedback to get, too, is the absolute brutal honesty of, of somebody who is willing to say, no, sorry, that doesn't work. Right. And if there's anybody that's that's brutally honest, I think it's 17-year-old girls. like they, <laughs> Especially to their mom. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Like, if my self-esteem can survive her, then I think it can survive anything. <laughs> because basically in her eyes I'm the most uncool person in the world <laughs> and you're an, a mural artist I mean I feel like there's a long list of mom jobs before you get to yours that are uncool <laughs> you'd think tell her that please <laughs> gladly Naomi's daughter this is us telling you that your mom is really cool if you listen to this <laughs> And if you're hearing this, it's probably because you were forced to listen to it. So We're sorry. <laughs> I'll fast forward to this point if I have to. There you go. <laughs> we can isolate this for you specifically, and, and you can just have it to play for her anytime you need anytime to do that, that reminder. Perfect. Perfect. But yeah, when we're exploring towns or something, it's all about finding a good selfie wall. and <laughs> That is just so fascinating to me because it is so different than what I think all of us grew up with and like having taught photography, it's interesting too, because that is seeping into what my students experience was as well, where it, it's like on the opposite end of it, like they're still looking for the, that same thing. It is this drive to find the right place for a selfie or, or the right situation for that sort of Instagram or other social media opportunity which is just such a different way of looking at the world than than I ever know how to do. And it, it becomes difficult for me as somebody who doesn't have kids and, and doesn't have even like younger cousins anymore at this point. You know, like I, I feel so disconnected from that view of the world and yet it is so influential in everything that I have to do. It is like, yes, yeah, I sometimes even forget how much it's influencing me, like how I'm starting to think of art as what would make the best background? But those are just really real considerations that are part of how you interact with the world with your art. And speaking of just like all the internet stuff, 
I think we were when we were looking at the, all the art you've done, one of the, I guess, most notable or like internet known stuff was you did a portrait of a meme. Oh, yeah, that one. It was crazy that it um, got so much attention. Like I was yeah. painting at a restaurant and I didn't know what to paint. So I painted that guy. Uh, Bad Luck Bad Brian. Luck Brian. Yeah. So I just painted his portrait. And then I posted it on Instagram and then he contacted me and bought it. <laughs> and then I didn't even give him a discount. Now I feel kind of bad. I don't know. but <laughs> No, you get your check. This is your moment to get that check. <laughs> right? I don't, so I, I think I sold it to him for $300. And then, I, oh, but what I said is I'll ship it to you for free if you send me a picture of you holding it. And then he did. And then I didn't do anything with that picture for a long time. And then one day it was my cake day on Reddit. Do you guys know what cake day is? No. It's like your your Reddit birthday or something. And for some reason, okay. if you post something on your cake day, you get a little cake next to your name and it okay. gets a little more intention than normal. And okay. I was like, I got I to post something. It's my cake day. What am I going to do? And so I was like going through my camera phone and I was like, oh, yeah, I should post this guy. And I posted it and it just blew up like it was crazy. It got like 200,000 upvotes. Wow. <laughs> but I think it was because they like him. It, like they like <laughs> the meme guy. And it's kind of a perfect internet moment in that, like, ultimate self-referential circle. Yeah, yeah. And then people were telling me, you better have given that to him for free. And I was like, oh, really? Um, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> right. Um. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even consider that. I love that it was, like, not even it happened. You, like, posted at the moment it happened. You were just like, well, you know, I did the thing. and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it was the same week that I posted the mural of the tiger, the tiger uh, mural. So it was just like, that was my week to shine, I felt like. <laughs> the internet liked you this week. <laughs> right? Got all my like good, happy juices flowing. <laughs> that idea of, of the expectation to give it to him for free, because I, I it, it's so funny to me, and I don't imagine that that probably even crossed his mind, especially if he was so willing to pay for it, you know, like, yeah, he didn't even ask for a discount. So I kind of respect him for that. (laughs) Yeah, It's almost like they had a weird expectation that you were painting it for internet attention specifically. So that like, this is like weird transactional thing you're supposed to do with them when you weren't right. You were just happened to be on the job and it just happened to be what you painted. I think it also has to do with people thinking that artists should should donate their time for exposure. And because this gave Ugh. me exposure, they somehow <laughs> felt like... That was your payment. Yeah. Have people tried to ma- uh, like contract you for murals with exposure? All the time. Oh, They're God. like, I have something to offer you. I have got uh-huh. a wall for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, and it's like... Well, they just, I think they just don't realize, especially at my age, it is so hard on my body. Like Mm -hmm. after painting a mural, I'm so sore. It's like, I love doing it. Yes, I love doing it, but I can't justify doing it for free with how hard it is on me. Like, Right. And it's not like supplies are free or time is free or any of that too. So why we're still having that conversation in 2020 is, is amazing. But like um, on the internet side of it, like, I wonder how much of that is just the meme culture in that like it is this thing that exists for free and people are using assets for free and it 
turn cyclical. And so then when you have a very like tangible interaction, like you did with like Brian, like it doesn't slot very easily into that like established internet culture. And I think that right. some people who, especially people who just don't have that experience or who aren't artists themselves, you know, it, it would be such an out there idea that like there are actual people involved with this thing that they trade on the internet. And I, I get so many people that um, ask me while I'm on the job, you know, can you actually do this for a living? Like, and I somehow, a lot of times I almost get a little bit of animosity from them or a sense of animosity when I say, yeah, I'm doing this for a living. And I don't know if it's like, just goes against what their preconceived notions of what can be a job. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Or, or maybe they're like, wow, you can do this for a living. And it, it's sort of romanticized in their head. And then they see themselves mm -hmm. sitting at a desk and that makes them like question their own life. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, thinking of it as a career is always, um, it has different reactions from different people. Right. And then on top of it, it doesn't slot nicely into the cultural idea of what work is either, even though it, it is very physical labor and it is, yeah. you know, in, intensive in, in every way, it is also enjoyable. So, you know, maybe like you're saying, like they, they look at it and they think about their own job, which might make them miserable. And suddenly it's like, oh no, everybody is not suffering in the same way that I am. Boo! You have to suffer like me. Oh. <laughs> right? Yeah, I just, yeah, it probably makes them question them on their own selves, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, yeah. Before we uh, wrap up, are there any future projects you want to talk about or anything that you're looking forward to doing? You said that you're doing the work with the museum. Yeah, I'm doing this museum, so I'm excited about that. It's excited about seeing them open it and it's so much fun. Like I, I did another museum like this that was in Hollywood and I love to put the hashtags on my, uh, you can like set it to notify you when certain hashtags show up on Instagram. So I'm really excited to like register some of the hashtags from that museum. And then I'll get to see how different people are interacting differently with my artwork. That'll be really exciting. Let's see. I'm going to do a, going to go to Panama city, Florida next month and do another chalk festival there. So I'm kind of excited to see chalk festivals happening again. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to be socially distanced. Like they used to be where they're all on one block and now they're going to like spread them around town, mm. the artwork around town, but still I'm excited to be able to travel again. That's awesome. And I imagine that that is giving kind of a different face to the chalk festival as well. If you don't have everybody on the same block, then I don't know does that sort of change the kind of art that you can do in it? Like, are you getting more space to work or? I don't know. Yeah. Like I, in a way, I think it might be better because I think people might enjoy each individual piece more because mm -hmm. before they're standing there looking at one piece, but kind of out the side of their eye, looking at the next piece too. And, okay. and it's just like one after the other, after the other, but this way they'll stand and maybe just take in one piece at a time. Um, but also I like to be able to chat with other artists while I'm working and I wouldn't be able to do that as much. The classic give and take of, you know. Yeah, I, th I feel like COVID's going to make our whole world different from here on out. 
but we just, you know, got to adapt and not give up relationships because of it. Right. And, and see what good we can make of it. Yeah. Where can people find your work if they want to see more and learn more about you? Instagram is the place I keep up with the most. And my handle is just my name, Naomi Haverland, no space. And then I also have a website that's just www.naomihaverland.com. Thank you so much for coming on. It was really great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you guys too. I, I had fun. It's no Sam Studios. Well, actually, did I stutter?